And welcome back to the Sabbatarianism podcast. My name is Justin. I am your host. I have with me Richard Davis. Hello, Richard. Hello, Justin. And Mr. Neil Saul is back with us today. Hello, Neil. Hello. All right. So we're going to do one today. Um, do we want to call this freedom or liberty or uh, what do you think, Rich? That's good. Okay. Freedom <laughs> or liberty. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Indeed. Uh, I remember when we recorded the, uh, the last episode of the Prophecy of the Barren Wife, when we went through that, mm-hmm. you first mentioned this, that, that at some point we need to do something on freedom and liberty and, and how that relates. And as we've talked about this and as I've thought about this, doing this episode over the last couple of weeks since we've been planning this, that's what I've really been thinking about. Is, is the barren wife, ver, or the not the barren wife, but really the, the wife of legal obligation versus the free woman. Yes. And it's, it's the freedom of the free woman that we're wanting to analyze today or, or discuss. Yeah, correct? W- what is free? What does it mean to be free? Right. You know, that's, that's a question. That's a big question. Because it's a question that's very subjective. Uh, but as far as we're concerned, the thing we need to know is what is meant when the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament use this terminology. What do they mean? And what's that talking about? That's what's important. Well, and, and we had another discussion in our, in our weekly study that, that hit right on this just a couple of weeks ago uh, where we talked about freedom. We're reading in Exodus right now, so I don't remember how it came up, but we talked about freedom and and this person kind of intimated that we're not truly free, that true freedom, you know, there is no law whatsoever. And, and we all kind of stop and went, no, that's that's lawlessness. That's not yeah, freedom. That, that's just chaos. That's right. So that is not what freedom is. There, There is no chaos uh, in, in the world with Messiah. So um, do, anything else either one of you want to bring up before we get started? They're nope. both looking at me. <laughs> I know. Ready to go. All right, ready to go. All right, Richard, where do you want to go first with this thing? Okay, I, th- I was just thinking about the subject, and what we're doing in the podcast, I think, has been to show that rightly dividing the word of truth, we are in a relationship of liberty or freedom as a bride, as Christ's bride, that hopefully we are and will be, and how we live as we serve him. And the Christian church, or pseudo-Christian church in many ways, has practiced a system of bondage ever since, what, the 4th century? When the Roman system put its authority over the church and put its a model of Roman government or a mediator system over the church and took liberty or away from the people and really restrained any freedom they had in understanding or contributing to understanding of God's word. And it was a system to control people for power hungry governments is what it was. Yeah, I think their point, the the point that they used to institute that would be an accusation that that what the believers was were doing was lawlessness. 
right? That they were, they were just freely practicing their Christianity in whatever way they wanted and that somebody needed to come in and provide order for all that. I think that's probably the way that they well, I do know instituted that, that. That historically, it says there, as I've read in Cambridge History of the Middle Ages, the old volume one, I believe, was that when Constantine put his hand upon the Christian church in order to do what he did, it was for political reasons. There was a lot of disagreement back and forth. Everybody didn't see things exactly in the same way, and he needed some continuity. And there was much conflict between the Christian church and the pagan church, the worship of the sun god that was practiced by the Romans. And he wanted to get rid of all conflict, so he ordered his men to go to these conferences and come up with a religion that the most people could live with. And that's why you had it mixed with paganism. Mm-hmm. Practices that the pagans had, they got to keep. We, but now we'll do it for Jesus, so to speak. Right. And, of course, that was rejected by a lot of Protestantism, but in the past two centuries, a lot of it has come back in. But the method in which it was enforced was absolute bondage or control. Top down. Yeah, set up a high place. Right. Proclaim that somebody there is God representing himself over everybody, and whatever he says is is to be obeyed. And in the churches of God, I, 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 if you've been around long as I have, you've heard over and over and over that the ministers are God's authority over you. Even though the New Testament words of Jesus Christ contradict that completely, and the writings of Paul and the other apostles, do they have authority? Yes, they do. But that's not between you and God. It's the authority to establish what God gave them to do. And that was to lay the foundation of the New Testament church and what was right and what was wrong. For the apostles, not for not for me ministers or, or, or min- no. mediators. No, that, but this mediator system, which goes back a long ways before this. I mean, even in ancient Israel, uh, the few good kings that got rid of the tried to get rid of the Baal worshipers, left the high places. Well, that was just a symbol of the substitute holy place where the holy man was supposed to come, and you were to go up to the high place that connected with God and hear what God's word from him. Well, how do you know if he's saying what he's saying is right? Right. I mean, You, you have to have you read don't. it for yourself. That's right. You don't if unless you have studied God's word and read it for yourself. You simply do not know whether it's right or wrong. And sadly, that has become more, in many cases, a a social thing for a lot of people. It's where we get together with the friends and then they are going to, which is nothing wrong with fellowship, but then spiritually what we end up doing is supporting our own faith. Just it's a human nature, I think, to protect our group and argue with others that don't agree with us <laughs> instead of trying to figure out what God's word truly says. And so it's a system of bondage that perpetuates itself. Um, it happened during the with Israel when they stepped away from God at the foot of the mountain 
and he put them under bondage. And the law as it was administrated, God's law as it was administrated in that system, was a system of control. bondage. It means control. It yeah. doesn't mean oppression. Right. In that system of control, they were better off than any other race of people on the face of the earth because they had at least that manner of a relationship with God. It wasn't some evil, bad thing as people that I don't have a lot of respect for have tried to claim. And God has released us from that old law, and now it's done away with, and all we have to do is love each other. That's the way the story goes. Well, that's what you get when you take words and concepts out of context and mix them up and tangle them up with all kinds of arguments and reasoning. When Christ said, uh, not one jot or one tittle shall I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That means fulfill does not mean destroy, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Sure doesn't. (laughs) It would seem that that would be pretty plain, but somehow it's not, because right away he says, for until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in any wise pass from the law. He just enlarging on what he said. The law or the prophets, I think yeah. he says there. But uh, right away you have, all, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, all this theology that means, well, that doesn't mean, really mean what it says. It's, it's this and that or the other because there's a need somewhere to exterminate some of God's laws. Well... As we've gone through the podcast, I think we've shown that none of God's law is ever done away, but it, like Paul told Timothy, some of it is not for a righteous son. Or a free wife. That's right. A wife of freedom. Well, how do you know what that is? The only way you're ever going to find out is to open God's word and study it diligently for yourself and see what God has to say to you. Because as long as all you do is go to church or go to Bible study and sit and listen what the holy man, the so-called holy man prepared for you, like the mediator of old, then all you know is what you're being told by that. What he allows you to know. Yeah, or all he knows, or mm-hmm. what that organization wants you to know. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. So you're not really... W- communicating or allowing God to communicate with you in the way that you should. And I think of, I just turn to Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says to the Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage or control. Now, those people say, well, he means that old Ten Commandments and that all that nonsense. No, it doesn't. We went through the book of Galatians on a previous podcast. He's just saying that these men who went around, th- Pharisees, who believed that they were still had their exalted position in the Christian church and went around examining and judging everybody else's Christianity, beginning with whether you were circumcised or not, were not true leaders. And they didn't have a clue as to what Christianity was from the heart on out. And he's saying, don't be entangled with their control. Get away from them. Pick yourself up a rock and run them off. (laughs) 
it's it it goes down to verse 16 16 of galatians 5 i say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the lust flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things as you wish that you wish but if you're led by the spirit you are not under the law or that that system of control in the context that's what he's talking about you, you don't follow your own fleshly lust and then he says now the works of the flesh are these and he tells us adultery fornication uncleanness lewdness lawless, mm-hmm. lawlessness so, yeah, yeah just do whatever yeah. you want whatever's right in your own eyes right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Or there is no order against that. You don't hear, hear anybody, any religious people arguing about whether, about any of these issues. I mean, they're so pure. But if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another. And, you know, he's just talking about different components of what the precepts of the Ten Commandments lay out. And that's what he was talking about here. He wasn't talking about lawlessness. He was talking about what life should be like when you're living with the Spirit. When the Spirit is inside of you, this is what it produces. Right, and you don't need to be controlled by a system of men who want to play God over you, which is what they were doing. Now, you'd, we'd have to go reread Galatians again, which mm-hmm. I don't want to do, but back in verse chapter 2, he talked about those in Jerusalem who came out to seek out his liberty and put it under their control. And he said, I didn't put up with that for an hour, didn't, so that the God, truth in the gospel might continue. So he was having conflict with those that weren't willing to come into a better relationship with God than what Israel had formerly had and wanted to keep that old stuff as the churches of God have done. Uh, now they haven't kept all the, the order of the law of, of Sinai, but that system of bondage has been inflicted upon many of God's people over the past 50 years. But the question is, what is freedom? What What is it? I mean, if we're going to practice freedom and live within freedom and we're going to get together not under a system like that, how do we do that? Without allowing lawlessness. Yes. That's critical. Yeah. Because that's chaos. Well, I'll just interject right here. I think that before we even start this, that if you're talking about true freedom, it's you doing what God says is right and it's really what you are and what you want and what you're practicing. That's freedom. And you are not then back under the penalty of law and death, of, um, penalty of sin and death. And you're not being slaved by your own passions, which is what he's talking about here in Galatians. Uh, you are free. You're free to serve God and to honor him and keep his commandments. And we can... Go back into backtrack into Jeremiah thirty-one, where he actually talks about that when he predicts 
the new covenant. Let me read this here. Where he said, I will write my law in their hearts. It starts in verse 31, I think. 31? The new covenant is the heading I have. Okay. There you go. Behold, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then it extends, we know, according to the scriptures, to all the rest of the world. Not according to the covenant I made with them with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Now we find that same language in back in Hebrews. And in Ezekiel 36. Yeah, well, let's go to Hebrews first here, uh, chapter 8. And he repeats the same thing. Oh, let's start in verse 10. For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, not do away with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more." In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, a covenant is not the law. The, the first is what? A, yeah, he made a marriage the first agreement. covenant obsolete. That's right. Not the law. The, the marriage agreement is what he made, mm-hmm. makes obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Again, the covenant, not the law. Think of it like this. When he stood, the people stood at the foot of the mountain and Moses went up between them and God and God said, go up there so they'll know that I'm the God that, that you're communicating with. And then God spoke to them face to face out of the cloud and fire of the Ten Commandments and no more. And then afterward, he called them up again and Moses and, and they said, we don't want that. They disobeyed him. This is where they had to be put in bondage. And God said, okay, get them out of my sight. Moses, get your book and bring it here. Now, from now on, you're the mediator, and I will deal with them through you, just like they demanded, because they don't have any heart to obey me. Because of my oath to Abraham. That's right. Now, think, what if they had gone up to him, all of them? Right. Then we have the conditions that are being spoken of here. The, you new, don't, the you don't same need, new covenant, the same covenant yeah, here. That's right. Then you don't need a Moses mediator. There wouldn't be an old covenant and new covenant. There would just be the covenant, right? And it would have been this one. It would have been the one that God shared with Abraham, like he said in Deuteronomy 5, because they all will know me. So there's no mediator. Every man is going to God through his word, studying, and then when they come together— 
as they're commanded on the Sabbath day, which is part of the law of the commandments, then they have that to share. Like we can sit here and talk about these issues is because all of we all have studied this in God's word. And we all have a particular slant, a particular understanding. This is what Paul was describing in 1 Corinthians 14 when he said, when you come together, there's some who have gifts of teaching. Let two or three speak at a time and let the others listen. Quiet. Yeah. yeah. But let, uh, you don't have time for everybody to do it in one day, but if God reveals something to another that sits by, then shut up and let him speak. Yeah. Okay. It's that's not the mediator system. It's a it's a matter of God's people loving each other and sharing that love and that understanding between with with each other. And every every congregation is going to be different. To me, of course, it, yeah, it's very bold to say. I'm a teacher, and let me come into your congregation and teach you as though I knew what they needed. Unless you, you might walk into a congregation <laughs> where you're the least knowledgeable person in there. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But it means you take on your own responsibilities to study God's Word. I mean, we have now college-educated people everywhere. And they read book after book after book after book, but not the Bible. Why? I mean, mm-hmm. if this contains the words of eternal life, why is it neglected? It takes you back to Adam's sin in the garden when it was just right there, if it had shown some respect to it. Same thing with Esau. I saw a meme online that said, uh, what if we all treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones? Take them with us everywhere. Our yeah. noses are constantly in them. We're constantly looking at them. What if we did that with the Bible? Well, the fact is, we're commanded to do that. Yes, we are. By God. You know, we think of ourselves, if we're in our future, as being kings and priests in God's kingdom. Well, uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy 17, you'll see that God said that the initial responsibility of a, of a king was to take the law of God and sit down and write it with his own hand. And read it every day. That's right, so that he could then do what he needed to. Administer justice, just like what Solomon did. He yes. asked for wisdom so that he could properly administer justice. Yeah. So this is what Paul is talking about here. You're not under a yoke of bondage. God expects something from you personally. You don't have a schoolmaster there to say, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then you go home every Sunday or every Saturday, and you feel good because you put in your time before the mediator. Now let's get on to doing whatever we need to do for the rest of the day or week. Whatever we want to do for ourselves. That's an abominable attitude. Yep. Yep. And it's not going up to the Lord directly like we are commanded. It goes back to Ezekiel 36 as you you said. Uh, let's just turn there because that's very important. I would also point out that that's not the heart of a servant, just wanting to go in and get it over with and then go home and mow the lawn or whatever whatever else you want to do. That's, that's not desiring to serve others. 
Well, I know there are people who do of all walks who do good for others, who sure. contribute to others in, in a good way. And I don't mean to demean that in any way, but what I'm saying is that you're you're cheating yourself. Hmm. Okay. If you're depending on what the preacher says to you as what God wants to say to you, then you're cheating yourself. Really are. You're not talking to the Lord. No. It's not a personal relationship. Yeah. No, it's it's like a marriage where uh, you go and talk to him and talk to him and talk to him and talk to him, but you don't ever listen to anything he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to deal with that every now and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. it starts off in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my, says statutes, could be interpreted laws or his commandments, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, that is basically describes what true freedom will be. Uh, and it's intrinsically tied in with the gospel. Uh, it just hit me. This is a prophecy of, of baptism, the giving of the Holy Spirit. All that is prophesied right right there in yes. Ezekiel. And we can read, look to verse Isaiah 61. Now, this is something that Christ referred to when they asked him about what his role was. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. The, or the gospel. He who has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now that's what we all are before we know Christ. We're captives to our own flesh, Sin, our yeah. own sins, the sins that Adam left to us. We're in bondage and under the penalty of death. He says the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, and to give them beauty for ashes, and all of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and they shall be called the tree, they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Okay, and it goes on to say what else they will do. Of course, that is to Israel and by extension, as we've learned in the gospel, to all the peoples of the earth, because that's what the blessing of Abraham was promised to, back from the very oath to Abraham. So what it brings upon us is liberty, for true freedom. 
true freedom. And with that in mind, unless you guys got something else to throw in here, please feel free to do it any moment. We can go back to the book of James. This is what Paul, not Paul, James. Chapter 1, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in all that he does. Now, here we go. What is the law or the order of liberty? Now, that's what the ultimate question is. And if you Google that up, <laughs> and you get the answers from a lot of different religions that's talking about God's love, they say. God has replaced that old law with his love. And as long as you love each other, you don't need any boundaries. That's where it, it's taken. But then there's always some qualification to that. And people who are fed this kind of stuff don't often stop and think. You mean that means we can kill each other as long as we love them? Well, do you really love somebody if you're killing them? You're kill them, yeah. Well, I thought you said there was no order or no law in love. So it doesn't even make sense. It's You can't have chaos. No, you can't. And the problem here, and this is, I think this is what I want to get to as far as the understanding of anybody who's listening to this and has been a certain system of religious bondage over the years of a mediator preacher telling you what God says and mixing it up in a way he can convince you of certain things. If you don't read all of this for yourself, you don't see through it. Make sense? Yeah. And to believe if you are a converted Christian that somehow he's more holy than you. I don't think so. He's not. Yes, God gives gifts, certain gifts to different people. But Jesus Christ gave the clear command to his disciples who became the apostles that they were not to be authoritarian rulers over other people's faith and their life. Well, and if somebody truly believes that another person around them is more holy than they are, they shouldn't be going to that person for help and advice and everything else. They should be going to God to try and make themselves more holy and, and do better <laughs> themselves, not go yeah. to some human. Yeah, it's, but it's, this has been the way it's been done for millennia. Yeah. So the question is, how do we come out of it? Especially since we're told there in Hebrews and Jeremiah 31 that the it, time is now coming when no man will be there to instruct his neighbor because everyone will know God in that way. And if we're here to serve one another, then we're here to share what God has given to us. And that's what's being described in chapter 14 of First Corinthians, and Paul said there, I believe it was Paul to the Hebrews, that that old way is vanishing away. Now, it may be true now more than at any time because the word of God is available. Now, 
if you guys want to throw something else in here at this time, please feel free to do it. Well, let's quantify. I mean, you asked a question just a little bit ago. Let's let's quantify the answer of what is perfect. The perfect law of liberty. Well, I would say the perfect order of liberty is to fear God, love God, and keep His commandments. And to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes. Well, that that's part of it. Christ said that. Love your neighbor. But my question was, the person who wrote this, and which was James, mm-hmm. what did he mean by it? Right. Okay. That's what's important for us to know. Because if we're going to have a Bible study, we're going to have a man stand up and preach us a message on this and tell us that the perfect law of liberty is, is God's love, and it replaces God's law. Now, I don't really believe many people who say that really believe that you start to examine them okay then you mean there's no right and wrong you can well there are some of the pagan beliefs that really believe that's true just do no harm and anything you want to do is acceptable alistair crowley was quoted as saying do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law yeah do whatever you want that should be the law the yeah. most evil man <laughs> maybe that ever walked the earth. That was his yeah. belief. But in some way or another, people present that because they have something they want to get by with. And I've used that before when people begin contending with me uh, about certain issues of that, to, of the law. It, as I mentioned to you guys and others, I finally just stop and say, what, what's your issue here? What, what do you really have a problem with here? What are you getting to? There's a reason you're angry or upset about this. What is it that you feel is, is bad about any of God's law and you don't want in your life? And usually they just come right out and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> or that has happened. But the question is, what does James mean when he says this? And I think the best way to figure that out is to read what he says in the context. And we can do that. Why don't we just sit, begin reading through the first couple of chapters of James here to get a good idea of it. Okay. Starting verse 2, chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humility or humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. There's nothing to glory in here. We're going to die and be gone. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There you go. You begin to see something there. Those who love God. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved children. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. By the word of truth, okay? That we may be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. So then, my beloved brethren, for every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. You got to understand what it or how that implanted word gets implanted. Okay, how what is the implanted word according to what we've already we do, read? I was going to say Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31. God talked about it. He's going to pull that heart of stone out of you and he's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to put his laws upon your heart. That's what he's speaking of here, right? Yes. What, what you're he, referring he'd to. He'd give it. you the Holy Spirit, yeah. which will write his laws, his word in your heart. The word of truth, which you emphasized earlier. Also, the Messiah said, the truth shall set you free. Free. That's right. So we're beginning to see here that according to James, the word of God and the internalizing of the truth of God's laws and his word is what begins to set you free. But be doers of the word. Now, if you don't know what the word of God says, how can you do that? You go ask the holy man. (laughs) If, If that's all your life, your eternity is worth, have at it. But I'm hoping that as we're sitting down and taking the time that we do here week after week, that we're reaching some who feel that their eternity is worth more than that. And it's worth some time. And it's worth some study. And it's worth being able to communicate in a better way to one another on God's Sabbath, when they get together, whatever time that is, and to reach out to others that they can connect with in the same way. Okay? So... We're internalizing the word of God. That's what sets us free. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it 
He is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in all he does. So, in, in the context, what is James calling the perfect law or order of liberty? God's word. The word of God. Yes, that's exactly what he's calling that. Yeah. It's not a precept of the holy of loving each other and not having to worry about whatever you do because Jesus has got it all covered for you. That's denying Christ. He, I think what he's saying here, the perfect law of liberty is, is God's word. And then the, the Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, and that taking over your life and transforming you. Yes, as you allow God to do it. Becoming a doer. Yes. If anyone among you, verse 26, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Do good and don't let the world pollute you and That's right. give you back that heart of stone. The pollution of idolatry. And looking into the word of God, everything he's ever said, every command he's ever done, given, and trying to understand the good that's in it. I tell you what, I... I learned a lot about dealing with my children as they grew up by seeing how God dealt with ancient Israel in their their immaturity. Those precepts and laws are not abolished. It's up to us to know what they're for and what they weren't and to understand the word of God. And then James is saying here how to apply them to your life the way you described there with your children. Yeah. Let's go down to chapter 2, verse 14. No, no, let's don't. Let's back up some. Let's just begin there in chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come unto you assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand there, or... Sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So God's love should not have that kind of thing involved. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that holy name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, and then he he begins to talk about what he means by the royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do 
as those who will be judged by the, the law, word of God, the law of liberty, which is the word of God and his commandments. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It needs to. Yes. It has if to. It, if it, it didn't, we'd all be dead. Dead. <laughs> yep. Yes. But he's showing the superiority of that. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, daily food, one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So this belief if we just do this, we got it made, is not scriptural. And no way in the world is it scriptural. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And that way he's describing now how they symbiotically fit together. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And his works and his honoring God's ways and God's commands showed that faith. His commitment. Yes. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. But a man is also not justified by works and no faith. That's right. It takes both. That's right. Working together in the right way. Right. But he's the point we're making here is that you know these things. If you're right, they divide the word of truth. You don't have somebody or allow somebody to stand up and tell you on the, whatever day you keep to honor God that this means something that it doesn't because you have not read the whole context or everything is behind this. Yeah, That's a terrible mistake. I think you made a great point there. Um, we were sitting here discussing that verse 25 of chapter 1, and I'm still questioning it. And you went back and read chapter 1 into the context. Yeah. And then it made perfect sense to me as soon as we got to it. Yeah. And that's the way you need to study God's Word. Yes, sir. And the truth is, some of these things, like the writings of Paul, you really don't understand unless you go back like we did in the History of the Covenants paper and pick it up in Genesis 1, and read the whole legal context of the covenants of God in order. Well, another, I was just in my personal reading, reading in Acts, and I came to Stephen's famous speech, and he did the exact same thing. He worked through the entire, he worked through it historically. If you read what Stephen did, he worked through it absolutely historically and came down to the point he was trying to make, but he, he set it up by, by doing it in order. That's right. And that's the way we should study God's word and, and then have something to contribute of ourselves 
because there's not one of us that sees and knows everything that's in here. As many times I've studied God's Word, and I mean going through the Bible from start to finish, every time I read it, I see something different, something I hadn't seen before. And that's one of the reasons why we're commanded on God's Sabbath day to meet, a holy convocation to come together and not to ever give that up. And to share with others. That's right. Those things that God has shared with you. How can the Spirit of God flow between us like Christ said the night before he was arrested unless we connect with one another? That's what a holy convocation is, to come up together before the Lord. Now, there are those who will say whether it doesn't make a difference what day you do it on. Well, I believe it does. I believe when God says, do this, that's what he means, <laughs> even if I don't necessarily understand it. You know, Abraham, how, did, was, how was his relationship with God formed? God said, get up and get out of the place where you are and go somewhere else and I'll do it. And I'll do this for you. And Abraham said, Okay. All right, <laughs> I believe you. Here yeah. I go. Because there are things there in God's word and his commands that you cannot prove and you cannot, you may not answer them. But that's one of the things that Abraham did. He obeyed God's laws, statutes, judgments, and his charge, whatever he said. I don't know how God is going to bless me for that, but he says do it. That's what we'll do. And it it just boggles my mind that the people say, I know God's Sabbath is Saturday or the seventh day of the week, like it said, but nothing wrong with changing it to, to another day. Well, I think his, uh, his Sabbath is holy because his presence is in it. That's right, from creation. Yeah. And so what good is it to meet on Sunday if he's not there? Well, you may meet, and I can meet and have a Bible study with anybody on any other day, but if somebody tell asked me to come up in that way with that reasoning to honor God on Sunday instead, I won't do it. Well, I made this comment to uh, Justin earlier before we started that, uh, to me, freedom really is... Uh, Doing what pleases God. There you go. And, and how do you know what that is? Well, that's... <laughs> it's word. The word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not done away with. Yeah. It's not abolished. Well, I, th I think a lot of it for me, and, and maybe it's just me, everything for me right now goes back to the, the prophecy of the barren wife. I think about it in almost everything I read every single day. And this is no different. Uh, yes. This is about... The, the free wife, the one yes. that loves him, that doesn't do it so that she doesn't get punished or so that she will get blessed. She does it because she loves him and she wants to do whatever she can to please him and she trusts him implicitly and without pour, any question. Yes, and pour, will be willing to pour out her life for him. The yeah. way That's one of the reasons I believe that in some way all those that are in the bride are called martyrs. What those who are willing to give up their life and pour out their life to honor the, our Savior. I, I think too, when uh, what was it? Uh, was it Isaiah that where you you read about uh, writing it on their hearts? Mm -hmm. Jeremiah put, thirty-one. Jeremiah. Okay. Uh, 
you know, when that happens completely, then it'll, because he says, I was married to you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, they became a, a wife of legal obligation because of their sin. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, at a point in the future, he, all of mankind will be brought back and given that opportunity to have that heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in and the laws written on it. And they'll, like I said, you know, you won't have to go tell your neighbor, here's what the Lord said, because he'll he'll have it also. Yes, and but I've heard that described as well. If you're given the Holy Spirit, then you just don't need the law because you automatically know what to do. I mean, what lying foolishness. Have you not read the clear word of God? How would you know what God does and does not want if, if you don't read the law? That's right. Or if you don't read his word. Right. It, it all goes back to the two trees in the garden. You have spirit and you have truth. But that spirit is the defining thing that gives the eternity factor to you. Because it's a different spirit than a human nature or a human being has. And it has to be put in you. And then, and only then, can you see God's law for what it truly is. It was Satan that came along and said, you don't need that spirit. And the day that you know right from wrong, you can be as good as God. <laughs> wrong. You can just be a self-righteous whatever you want to call it. Now that the Spirit's back, he says, you don't need that truth. You don't need that law. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what's going on. I don't it's want that. you to have them together is what he's yeah. saying. It's that simple. Yep. Anything else you want to cover here? Not right now. No, I, I don't think so. This is can be ongoing because there's just so much to read through this. And like you say, the, you see now the 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 two wives, the the bondwoman and the free woman, which is one, uh, Psalm 110 says, in that day prophesying when Christ is given dominion, his subjects, his children will be willing. I mean voluntary. They will be willing to serve him with their whole heart. And that's what makes them the real children. And when you understand these precepts, then as you study through God's word, you begin to see it over and over here much more and if you really do that and stay close to him no deceiver is going to step in and without understanding and convince you of something you know is not true yeah you look to god not to a mediator the only mediator we have is christ just get your nose in that bible there you go for yourself every day all right mr neil You've been very quiet today. Do you have anything else you would like to offer? Uh, I could offer more, but we're good. (laughs) Okay, we're good for today? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we thank you for tuning in. That's kind of a radio term, isn't it? Tuning in? They're not tuning in. (laughs) We thank you for clicking on the (laughs) podcast. You don't turn a knob anymore. Yeah, you don't tune in. You click a button. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.